Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic, and today uh, on this Alexio episode for Divine Mercy Sunday, the second Sunday of Easter, uh, I am joined by Father Gregory Pine, who seems pretty excited about this being Divine Mercy Sunday. He's doing a little head dance, which I would disapprove of, um, but he's too far away for me to stop him. Uh, and also by Father Patrick Briscoe, who seems less excited, uh, but also seems happy enough to be here. So welcome, Fathers, on this Divine Mercy Sunday. How are you doing? Doing well. Um, let's see. What's to report? Mercy, Switzerland. I got nothing. Um, oh, okay. I celebrated some masses during Easter for an English-speaking community in Bern, which is nice because it's like preaching in French, except um, the difference is that it's actually good sometimes. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, so I was really appreciative for that opportunity. <laughs> Do you preach in French mm. often? Uh, maybe like once or twice a week. And uh, it's rough. Do they know what you're saying? Let's just go ahead and say that. Okay. Do they know what you're saying? Um, yeah. So so I've gotten some things wrong, right? Uh, some cl- some key things wrong, turns out. Oh, no. Uh, so my, my, my pronunciation is, you know, it's horseshoes and hand grenade uh, but Philly. so cœur is heart and corps is a uh, body. You don't want to get those confused in certain contexts. Also, sang is blood. You know, turns out that's important for the sacred liturgy. And sang is uh, like womb, right? Which is a different thing. So just heads up, pro tips this is my for womb. all of you. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Okay, moving on. Father Patrick, how you doing? <laughs> well, um, you know, Divine Mercy Sunday, it always makes me think of um, going to confession which all of you listeners should do. Um, That's right. Shame them into it, Father if you haven't, If you haven't done your Easter duty yet, Holy Mother Church graciously invites you to repent for your sins and be shrived in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, so just, you know, just a friendly little invitation there, you know, to maybe think about making a return to the sacrament. Yeah, if that's something that you want to do. Well... You know, our Lord, I'm sure, couldn't have said it better himself. So thank you, Father Patrick, for encouraging us to frequent the sacrament of penance. Um, I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we talk about the readings on this Divine Mercy Sunday. So before diving into the readings, let's start, as we usually do, with the collect for this Sunday. God of everlasting mercy, who in the very recurrence of the Paschal Feast, kindle the faith of the people you have made your own. Increase, we pray the grace you have bestowed, that all may grasp and rightly understand in what font they have been washed, by whose spirit they have been reborn, by whose blood they have been redeemed. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. All right, Father Gregory, take us to the first reading. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The community of believers was of one heart and mind, and no one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they had everything in common. With great power the apostles bore witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great favor was accorded them all. There was no needy person among them, for those who owned property or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds of the sale, and put them at the feet of the apostles, and they were distributed to each according to need. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Look, I'm just going to come out and say it. You have too much stuff. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know who you are. Uh, you're, you're, listen, you're listening to us. Uh, you, you probably haven't watched enough Marie Kondo. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta give it away. Um, this, this is such a powerful, this is such a powerful reading because like here we have it right on the nose that the, the disciples are so close and the community of believers is so tight that everything they own, everything they own is shared and put toward the good of all. Um, and I think that it's very easy, uh, very easy, um, for us Americans. If you're not an American, you're listening to this English, um, English language program, um, two M's and an E, um, you know, you, you probably still have too much, too much too. So, uh, you know, <laughs> don't, don't blame this just on the fine citizens of the United States. Um, but the, things obscure the work of God in our life. Why? Because whatever they are, we think about them. We move them around. We dust them. Um, if you don't dust them, you should, because that means your house is dirty and no one likes dirty house. Um, but things obscure the vision, things obscure the vision of God. Yeah, I'm in a mood, Father Gregory. I'm sorry. Uh, things obscure the vision of God in our life. Just all this stuff, and it weighs on us and requires maintenance. And um, it is so liberating to give things away. It's so liberating. Um, this is one of the untold glories of religious life that it, that is truly freeing to not be bound and surrounded by tons of stuff. I mean, Father Gregory put both things he owns in a bag and and moved to Switzerland and was a, and was was able to do that in the name of the gospel. Uh, so I think I think that I think that's so wonderful. Uh, but 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 we 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 are receiving a real invitation from the church to think to think about what our lives would be like were they simpler, were we less attached to them. What, what if we really put everything we had in service to the good of all? That's the invitation from this reading uh, from the Acts of the Apostles this Sunday. Now, I didn't take Father Gregory to the airport. Did I take you to the airport when you moved? I don't think no. so. No. But I did see, Father Patrick is right, it was just two little, like, plastic <laughs> shopping bags from, like, from like stop he and shop. He paid five cents for them when he, he checked up out because of the bag tax. Yeah, he didn't have to pay for luggage. It was great. He's a, a real witness to the apostolic life. So we thank him, and we thank him for his French <laughs> preaching. <laughs> One of the uh, the things that um, the, the, the apostles do that is um, striking is that they are apostles of Christ. Um, and I and I don't say that in a kind of oh this is just what they are, but it's their identity it's who they are and if you read the early accounts of um, even in the early persecutions of the church um, those accounts from from Roman historians or others um, if you read even fiction there's the great novel that pops into my head Quo Vadis um, which is about the early Christian communities and and their sort of how they're perceived by non Christians by pagans um, as Father Patrick was saying they were extremely close they were a close knit community um, but they. They were what they were because of who they were. It's a weird thing to say, I guess. But they were what they were because of who they were. It was a Christian identity, and they lived that identity. And that identity, that unity and identity, is as, um, as we get from the Acts of the Apostles today, is predicated on, on two things. First, that they were of one heart and one mind. 
They were one heart and one mind. And for us Dominicans, this is this is something that our the rule of St. Augustine and our constitutions talk about of being one heart and one mind in the community. After all, religious life, and especially St. Dominic, who loved the Acts of Apostles, is founded on these um, on these early Christian communities. But this idea of pursuing one thing, of being united in that pursuit of Christ, so much so that even as Father Patrick was explaining that the possessions, the material concerns of this world take a back seat. Some of the material things of this world are, are very good, um, but not better than God and not good when they get in the way of God, but that they're in one heart and one mind, possessing God, pursuing God, and serving God and the people of God. So that's the first thing. The second thing that this Christian life, this Christian identity is predicated upon in these early communities from Acts, is that they all knew who they were. They knew that they were sinners in need of God's mercy, and that the only reason that they could be together, the only reason that they could give their things away, the only reason they could do everything that we've already begun to talk about, is because they had received God's mercy, because they relied on God's providence, mercy, and love for them, because they knew the resurrection was real, and that God um, had fulfilled all prophecy, and that God was caring for them. And I think this is what this whole Divine Mercy Sunday is, of course, it's called Divine Mercy, so... um, that's, that's obvious, but it's all predicated on the recognition of our Christian identity, that we've been created by God, that God loves us and loved us unto death, and that offers us his life through the, his mercy and through his love to live united together now, to build and anticipate the kingdom of heaven now while on earth, but also to be prepared for that, uh, for that kingdom to come uh, when it does. So this Sunday, as we meditate upon the true nature of mercy, uh, we are presented with a variety of images. And the image from this first reading, which is perhaps most striking, is that of, you know, taking care of the need of those who are most poor or otherwise exposed or, you know, potentially in a, in a bad situation. Okay, so the community of believers holds all things in common and tends to the needs of those who are poor. I think in certain kind of corners or in certain circles in the church, uh, we hear great emphasis placed upon, um, so like physical or, um, you know, like financial material assistance to the poor. And this is an essential feature of our faith. Like I recall having heard Archbishop Shapu say, if you don't love the poor, you're going to hell. <laughs> right? Um, but sometimes the way that this um, attention or mercy exhibited towards the poor is presented, it's presented as if it were the whole faith. And I think it's in, in those situations where we find ourselves um, in a kind of an awkward spot, because it's almost like we're made to choose between service of the poor and then, you know, orthodox faith or sacramental praxis or devotional life, things like that. And we feel like, wait, we shouldn't have to be made to choose among these things. They should all hang together. And so what we see in this first reading is that they do hang together. Um, so this is the, the early church constituted here in Acts 4 is, you know, just downstream of the ascension in Acts 1, of the sending of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, and the proclamation of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is at the heart of this scripture. Um, so the only reason for which we can be of any service to those in our immediate vicinity is because the Lord Jesus Christ is who he says he is because he suffered and died and he rose from the grave, right? And we've been constituted as members of his body. So he is at the head, we are his members, he acts by the divine power and distributes the merits of his graces to all those who are bound up in him by baptism. And as a result of which, we can be of service to one another because Christ has knit us into one. So there's a real principle of our unity, 
It's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a result of which, we can be of service to one another people without like condescending to them or like making of them a charity case. It's because we recognize in them one who is also a member of, a part of the body of Christ, actually, you know, for the baptized or potentially for those not yet. Um, so I think like, that, I mean, that's what informs the service of the missionaries of charity, for instance. Like they had this one AIDS hospice, they continue to run it in New York, although there are far fewer men there with AIDS. Uh, and, and like for a period of 15 years, every single man who came through their doors was either he came baptized or he left baptized. <laughs> it's awesome. They're like, I mean, that's kind of how they would ask them, you know, before they went to bed each night. Like, have you been baptized? Do you want to be baptized? Because we can baptize, you know, if you'd like. Uh, but that should be that should be the nature of our faith and of our service to the board. It should be it should be bound up uh, with with the wholeness, right, with the entirety of the Christian faith. To the second reading, then. A reading from the first letter of St. John. Beloved, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by God, and everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. In this way, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome, for whoever is begotten by God conquers the world, and the victory that conquers the world is our faith. Who indeed is the victor over the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came through water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water alone, but by water and blood. The Spirit is the one that testifies, and the Spirit is truth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So something that you'll often hear when um, uh, reading the scriptures with the church is that we should uh, read particular passages canonically. So you can't just take a particular passage in isolation. You read it in light of the rest of the sacred scriptures. So like, for instance, when you read in Romans 5 um, that we are justified by faith, okay, that's to be read with James 2, that faith without works is dead, and that's to be read with 1 John 5. So we have this line here in the middle of this text. In this way, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For the love of God is this, that we keep his commandments. This particular text um, you know, is, is closely tied to uh, an earlier passage in 1 John where it says, if I say that I love God and hate my brother, I am a liar and the love of God is not within me. So there's this sense that, okay, God gives you faith, but that faith has to breathe forth love. That faith has to be informed. There's a theological tradition which speaks of faith as either formed or unformed. When it's unformed, it lacks charity. But when it's formed, it has the fullness of charity. And so that faith has its, um, you know, it, it's, it's capacitated to perform truly, uh, genuinely charitable works. And when we see those works, right, like the scripture talks, to, talks about in this passage, when we obey his commandments, right, we know that faith is operative in that person's life. It's not to say, like, if you do the things, then you are a faithful person. It's to say that the things testify to the presence of the faith. And so, again, this informs our practice of mercy. We don't set about to do merciful works in a kind of frantic or frenetic spirit for fear that were we not to do them, everything will go to pot and, you know, the faith just doesn't seem to have chops unless we, unless we act in this particular way. It's like, no, right? The reason for which we are moved to perform acts of mercy is because the faith alive within our hearts breathes forth love, right? Because the faith alive within our hearts is intimately bound up with the life of charity. So again, it all hangs together, right? There's no, 
you know, social justice without the rest of the faith, nor is there the rest of the faith without the, you know, ministry to those who are in need, the, uh, you know, the display of mercy in the heart of the church. It seems that the hinge point for all of this, at least coming coming from this reading, and certainly within the faith uh, in a broader context, the hinge point of what everything that Father Gregory just said, but also what John is preaching in this letter is um, is obedience and the virtue of obedience and being obedient to the Father. Um, and this may raise questions, well, for, well, perhaps less so for us as religious, because we do take a vow of obedience to our superiors, so it's very clear to whom we have promised obedience and to whom we need to be obedient. Um, I guess it's a little more clear for children um, that they owe obedience to their fathers, to their teachers, and you know. but it's also maybe less clear for adults out in the world who are not professed religious or uh, neither children to whom they owe obedience. Um, I guess, But just in a sort of brief way, uh, we first and foremost owe obedience to God, to Christ, to the truth, um, and to the truth, and as as proclaimed, protected, and promoted by the church, also our civil authorities, you know, all of these in different ways we owe obedience to um, to different things, but primarily to God. And often one of the one of the critiques levied against faith or religion or belief is that the obedience to the to the dogma, obedience to some God is somehow trapping, stifling, burdensome. But in reality, if we are to read the gospel and look at the Christian life and look at the saints who live these virtues um, in imitation of Christ, um, this obedience is, is freeing because obedience to God is not, uh, is not a way for God to manipulate and control. We can think back the great example of the Ten Commandments, obedience to that law. The Ten Commandments are not things that are imposed externally upon us that are foreign or, or that, but really are expressions of what it means to be a human being, to be a human being not and not um, enslaved to sin, but in, but in a sense, as St. Paul talks about, as slaves to Christ, slaves to the one who loves us and to the one who wants to set us free. So the virtue of obedience and, and the virtues in general, as we've talked about on different episodes and in different contexts, the virtues are really an imitation of Christ. And this obedience here is uh, an imitation of Christ who is obedient to the Father. Uh, and through this imitation of Christ, through these, through these um, graces of our Lord's mercy, and his resurrection, we are transformed, elevated, freed from the stranglehold of sin so that we can be made into the men and women our Lord has has created for us. Um, and there, there's a great joy in this, and not just a, a great joy, but a great victory, as John says, um, that for whoever is begotten by God conquers the world. Conquers the world. It's it's not just does well or does good things, you know, as far as like serving people. Conquers the world. It's it's beautiful. It's it's incredibly empowering and, and rich and something that we ought to uh, ought to uh, have great hope and faith in as Christians. While I appreciate Father Gregory's remarks, I did find them lacking in the sense that there was no invocation of some obscure principle of Trinitarian theology, um, because it's just glaring. It's so obvious here in this in this pericope um, from First John. Uh, so, so I have to do it, you know. And, and this, it's it, when I start talking about the Trinity, buckle up. Because I can basically, I can basically say, <laughs> "See this shamrock? <laughs> uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It has three parts." No, uh, but here, John presents John presents um, the the Trinitarian mystery in a way that is just so compelling, because we see that the way that we the way that we enter into the di- the dynamic relationship of the love of God is through the Son. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is begotten by by God, 
Everyone who loves the Father loves also the one begotten by him. And so it's this this uh, invocation of the name of Christ, this invitation um, by our holy baptism, um, that, that we get invited into the sharing of love that that is the, the heart of the mystery of the Trinity. At the end of the passage, we see that we see that uh, we can be we can be reborn. We we receive this new life. We enter this invitation. We accept this invitation. We enter this mystery of love by receiving the gift of the Spirit. Um, and this gift of the Spirit allows us to testify to this love. So it's through Christ that we receive this participation into this mystery of love, and it's the Spirit who allows us to speak of this mystery of love the way that it's transformed our lives. How's that, Father Gregory? That sounds good. Kudos. Yeah. So Father, Son, that Holy Spirit, straight. three gods. Okay. Oh, wait. Uh. <laughs> uh-huh. Great. All right, let's move to the gospel before we get into more trouble. Well, Father Patrick, bring us, read us the gospel, please. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands, and bring your hand, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe." Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. This passage from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John, um, as we've already said, um, institutes the uh, the sacrament of penance. When our Lord says, um, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Uh, the Lord in, in the in his resurrection, comes to the apostles um, to give them the, the the ability, the power to forgive sins, to bestow mercy. Uh, we, going, as Father Patrick was saying at the top of the episode, if you haven't gone to confession, well, go to confession. Uh, I think that it's, uh, he's right. He is right in that. Yeah, it's not just what I think, it's the truth. <laughs> that, the that um, as Father Patrick was saying, you can consider um, his 
call to confession, a personal invitation to go to confession if you haven't been in a long time or if you've just been a couple weeks ago. And why why is that? Why is the church so insistent? Um, why should the church be so insistent on receiving the sacrament of penance? Uh, he's holding up a sign. If you're listening, it says, confess now. Uh, he's really adamant. Um, why is the church so adamant? Why is the church so insistent on this? Well, because it's in the confessional. It's in this sacrament that our Lord bestows and gives to the church, this great gift where we encounter the Lord's mercy without reserve. There is no condition on our Lord's mercy. If we can bring to him our sins, if we confess us our sins, he promises to forgive us our sins. And not just as a sort of transaction of input sin, output um, forgiveness, but as an encounter with our Father who loves us, who wants to bestow on us his mercy to free us to live with him, to free us from the bonds of sin and death. One of the... Um, the important things to, I think, that we are up against in our contemporary culture is this idea of the this sort of ultra-civic virtue of tolerance. And I would say that this might be, um, I, I think tolerance is, is, um, is, is a, a cheap virtue. And why is it a cheap vir virtue? It's a cheap virtue because tolerance sees, recognizes, it, the good thing about tolerance is that it does recognize where a person is. You know, their, their gifts, their talents, their sufferings, their weaknesses, it, it's a recognition. But tolerance stops there. It doesn't call to something beyond itself. Mercy, like tolerance, recognizes where somebody is, their gifts, their talents, their abilities, but also their brokenness, the places where they need healing. But it's mercy that calls to healing. And it's mercy that calls us to greatness and out of our suffering and out of our brokenness. And that's the difference that we have to remember. As Christians, we're called to be merciful to love people and to bring them to Christ and allow Christ's mercy and love to, to elevate them, to transform their brokenness, to allow God to be with us, with them in our suffering. Because it's only God who gives meaning to the suffering. It's only God who is able to change that suffering and to use that suffering, whatever it may be, and bring from it new life, just as his resurrection so on this Divine Mercy Sunday, if you have not been to confession in a while, um, as Father Patrick has, I too invite you to go to the confessional, to um, have that courage to conquer the world that we heard in our second reading and, and conquer those butterflies, those fears, um, the, the pride that we might have that might prevent us and, and um, you know, darken that door of the confessional to submit ourselves in a beautiful way to the mercy that God is waiting to offer us. Uh, I think it was last episode, Father Jacob Bertram made a joke about, you know, us not sleeping more than two hours a night. I like to jokingly say that I don't so much sleep <laughs> as just wait for the morning. But um, <laughs> it's helpful because, um, <laughs> because so too, when it comes to obscure points of Trinitari Trinitarian doctrine, I don't sleep on them. I just wait for the right opportunity. And uh, I would like to say that I was not so much omitting as I was biding my time, because what you are about to hear, friends, is some obscure Trinitarian doctrine. <laughs> so this particular gospel is, uh, it's a goldmine. It's awesome. It's beautiful. And it's one that St. Thomas Aquinas loves uh, with great care and tenderness because he acknowledges in it, or he identifies in it, one of the visible missions of the Holy Spirit. So uh, St. Thomas speaks of these missions as the sending forth of the persons of the Most Blessed Trinity from uh, the kind of interior life of the Blessed Trinity into creation, as it were. So a mission identifies when a, mo a person of the blessed, most, most Blessed Trinity becomes present somewhere in a way that formerly 
he was not. So like the incarnation is a visible mission of the Son. And he identifies four visible missions of the Holy Spirit. So the descent of the dove at the baptism, the enveloping cloud at the transfiguration, the one that everyone's thinking of, which is the tongues of flame at Pentecost. But there's a fourth one, which is weird, but one that St. Thomas loves. And that's when Christ breathes on the apostles in the upper room, a kind of sending forth of the Holy Spirit, right, which is associated here with the sacrament of penance. And this is where we see the origin of mercy, right? This is where mercy ultimately comes from. This is where mercy is first given. Because you know, there's no mercy within the Trinity, right? But there's there's mercy from God to creation. Because what is mercy? Mercy is when you identify something miserable and then you work to relieve it. So God identifies us as miserable and then works to relieve it. How? By giving of himself, by sending his Son and the Holy Spirit, right? Visibly into the world so that we can lay hold of them, right? Invisibly into our hearts so that way we can be made like unto them. And the way in which we can experience this divine mercy most powerfully is in the sacrament of confession. So the sending of the Spirit is actually associated with the very sacrament whereby our souls are cleansed and more perfectly configured to the most blessed Trinity in the heart of which, or at the heart of which, we are meant to abide forever. So, I will say this to you, Father Patrick. Have you been with me this long, and still you do not know me? (laughs) (laughs) One of the extraordinary dimensions of divine mercy, um, about uh, which the sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, that is the sisters that run the Shrine of Divine Mercy in Krakow, one of the dimensions they emphasize profoundly is the idea of trust. For them, this spirituality comes from the words on the, the image of divine mercy and that revelation that Jesus made to his beloved sister Faustina. Um, and the image of divine mercy bears the words that saying, uh, Jesus, I trust in you. So the idea of trust is very important. It's not, it's not always thought of as being so intimately connected to divine mercy. But the reason I think it's so important is that um, if we have this wound, if we have this brokenness, um, we need a confidence in the divine physician to be able to heal us because otherwise the wound just remains hidden. And it's often that fear, like Father Jacob Bertrand mentioned, or, you know, frankly, just a lack of trust that what the Lord will do in our lives is really what is truly good for us or that it's actually what we need or that it will actually heal us. So in the Gospels, Jesus assures us that the remission of our sins is good for us by connecting so many of these moments of forgiveness with moments of physical healing. It's the Lord teaching us that as he forgives sins, he heals us, he makes us whole. Um, He doesn't just restore us, but he elevates us to the life of grace um, and uh, makes available for us new horizons of life. So this is the virtue that I commend to you this day as we think about divine mercy. Um, Trust, have confidence in the Lord and his plans for you and in his invitation to receive his mercy today. So on this Divine Mercy Sunday, um, as we already have, uh, we again encourage you to, to seek out our Lord's mercy um, in the sacrament, but also to live lives that reflect our Lord's mercy, to live virtue of trust that our Lord is, um, confess now, Father Patrick's sign is up again. It's like he's on a, a, a hotline or something, and you know, it's like, call now, nope, confess now. Um, so to take advantage, it, that may seem a weird way to say it, but take advantage of our Lord's love is mercy. Um, and and come to him, the you know the the merciful Father that he is. He's awaiting. Um, a few announcements before we before we pray. Not announcements. Um, announcements. 
their announcements. I'm going to announce things. So their announcements. Reminders. Uh, exhortations. Reminders. Exhortations. Friendly. Gentle encouragements. Mm-mm, not that one. No, we're not. <laughs> commercials. So <laughs> commercials. There we have. So as always, you know, feel free to like, share, comment, uh, and and promote our podcast. Uh, we have, um, as we've mentioned the last couple episodes, some new Easter merchandise, a new sweatshirt um, online. So check that out. It comes in lovely colors blue, gray, and maroon if you're looking. As Father Patrick said on our last Lexio episode, for those chilly spring evenings, something to don. Father Gregory's not appreciating that. But, you know, it's a festive sweatshirt, so you can you can wear that. Um, we have a retreat coming up in July, July 23rd through 25th, as it is in heaven, um, a God-splaining retreat in person in in um, Long Island. I believe the town is Huntington. Is that right, Father Patrick? I always forget the town. That's right. Huntington, New York. So check out the website, our events tab there. Um, thank you to our sponsors. If you'd like to, if you know, to be one of our sponsors, uh, you can always check that out at Patreon. Um, I think that's all I have, and I'm not going to ask them if they have anything else because I know I have the complete list and I don't need their help. So that's it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's finish out at least with uh, with the solemn blessing from Divine Mercy Sunday. May God, who by the resurrection of his only begotten Son, was pleased to confer on you the gift of redemption and of adoption, give you gladness by his blessing. May he, by whose redeeming work you have received the gift of everlasting freedom, make you heirs to to an eternal inheritance. And may you, who have already risen with Christ in baptism through faith, by living in a right manner on this earth, be united to him in the homeland of heaven, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Godsplaining. Uh, Know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us. And until next time, God bless. Thanks for listening to Godsplaining, a work of the Dominican Friars of the province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app. And visit us at godsplaining.org.